Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Mickle. And today on the show, we're going to be talking about how do you transition from a capital growth portfolio to a cash flow portfolio. Now, this is a really interesting question, and I know I say that every single episode, (laughs) but it really is, because Andrew recently did a live Facebook Live webcast with the Auckland Property Investors Association, specifically touching on this question, because... Because so many property investors get into the market so that they can build up their wealth for retirement or for some other uh, cash-based goal, like they want a passive income in the future, at some point you've got to transition from properties that primarily go up in value, so will be really highly geared towards capital growth, but then you've got to transition to properties that while they might not get as much capital growth, they're better for yield and cash flow. So the typical example would be moving from uh, a portfolio primarily based on houses to a portfolio primarily based on apartments or or uh, dual care apartments or any sort of, of property type that is typically high yielding. So Andrew, why don't you walk us through some of the things you would typically think about uh, when transitioning from a capital growth to a cash flow positive portfolio? So I think one of the most important things that came out of the session the other day was thinking about the time frame that it's going to take you to transition. And so um, let's say retirement age for you is 65 and um, leading up to 65 you want to build up as much wealth as possible so you're going to be a uh, more heavily growth focused portfolio at that stage. When you get to retirement you're more focused on yield because at that stage you need the income to support your lifestyle and so what you've got to remember is that it can't just happen overnight in terms of selling properties. You, you've got to sell them down over time and certain markets might not necessarily be the optimum time to sell. So say, for example, uh, right now, you might look across the country and say, well, Auckland's an excellent place to sell a rental property at the moment. Uh, you know, I'm going to get my money back and then I can go and afford to buy a high-yielding property. Christchurch, on the other hand, might have been a bit softer. And so you might want to be holding for the next 24 months, um, particularly to see some of this growth that we're expecting. Uh, so you don't necessarily want to sell right away. So I normally say that five years is probably a good window to allow yourself for that transitioning period um, to go from your growth heavy portfolio. And and remember, it is important to have a growth heavy portfolio because you make so much more money out of capital growth than you will on yield purely because of the fact that you're dealing with a, an expensive asset. You're dealing with a half million, $700,000 um, asset. And so a, a 5% growth rate on that is huge um, rather than, you know, percent difference in yield so while you're building up wealth focus on growth and then when you get to retirement and you want to uh, and you need that income then you transition into the yield but allow yourself enough time and Andrew, would you suggest to people that they do it all at once? Do you, It's going to take five years, but do you try and sell all of the properties and then go out and buy the growth, uh, sorry, the yield properties? Or how would you typically stagger it or transition it? You'd, you'd never be able to do it all, all at once just because of the way the way it works with you know having tenancies full due and then selling the property vacant. So for example, some of the properties that I own, which are old at the moment, I'm selling those to buy new ones. And so we've had to stagger it out over a about a two-year period um, so that we've got tenancies rolling over and then we sell them when they're vacant so the tenants move out we give them a fresh um, lick of paint and then and then furnish them and then and sell them and so that really can take some time to get it right and then you know some of our properties um, we we went to sell them and there just wasn't the interest that we wanted at the price and so we took them back off the market re-let them for another year and then we'll reassess that 
What you can do though, um, so with a lot of our projects, for example, they might be, uh, especially some of the yield ones, um, if, if they're an apartment complex, that could be a two-year development. So you could start thinking about it and putting deposits on some of the higher yielding properties and still carry on getting the growth for the next two years in, in one of your growth properties and then know that you only have to sell that in the next 24 months before settlement of the, of the yield property. And Andrew, walk me through as well. You know, if I come to the age of sixty-five, I can sell down my properties, and I, you know, I'm going to do that no matter what. Why should I put it, or what should I consider in terms of putting that money into into high yielding properties, or why not just put it into some other sort of investment class, like a, a mutual fund or or a term deposit or something like that? Well, see, the reason property is such a desirable asset at retirement is that you get an income which is inflation adjusted. And actually, I think we did the stats on this last week. Um, inflation is around the sort of 2% mark, just under, whereas um, the, the the inflation of rent is significantly higher. It was more than double. Yeah, it was uh, just a jump in there. 226% or something? Uh, yes, yes. So so inflation over the last, I think, 10 years we did was about 1.6% per year. Uh, the the inflation based on property, on rents, was 3.6%. So it's 2.25 times higher. Higher. So you're getting, uh, uh, in terms of rent, your rent's going up much faster than your cost of living. And the great thing about that is your lifestyle's not eroding. So if you put money in the bank and you're you know, wanting 75000 a year, if it's the 75000 that you're taking out each year, the same amount of money, the things that you can purchase with that 75000 diminishes year on year because of inflation. And so, again, you don't want to get to retirement and then enjoy less of a lifestyle every year because you haven't accounted for inflation. So with property, if you've got uh, rent going up at just inflation, you're doing okay. If it's going up by double, then essentially your purchasing power is increasing as well. So that's even more exciting. So you can actually have a, a more, yeah, more holidays. Uh, so that's great. But also you will still get capital growth on the asset. Now, if you're yield focused, you're probably not getting, you know, necess- you might not be getting a 7% or a 6% or even a 5% yield, a uh, growth, sorry, right? But you're still getting um, increases in value on that asset value. And so that, that means that you've got something to leave the kids. You've also got something you can sell later on if you did need a, a large lump of money, um, you decide to move overseas or something like that. But um, th- you've got two sources of income essentially. You've got your capital growth, which you can spend later, and you've got your income now from the rent. And I think that that last point is really differentiates property from the the likes of a term deposit or a mutual fund because in that you might have uh, you you might get some some return from that investment, but of course it's taxed. When you get growth in the value of your property, it it's not taxable as long as you don't sell within the bright line period, and actually which is five years. So if you sell that property within five years of purchasing it, then you're going to pay tax. That increase in the value of the property is treated as income. And it becomes taxable. Now, of course, if you're selling down your capital growth properties and then buying a yield property, you're restarting the bright line test. So if you did need to, s- to sell that property for whatever reason, just beware, you want to hold it longer than five years so that you don't pay income tax on any of that capital growth. Now, the other question that I just want to ask as well, Andrew, is how this all works with inheritances. So I'm going to sell these properties and then I'm going to buy at my capital growth properties, which are increasing in value, and I'll buy a 
yield property. Now, I'm still going to get some capital growth in there, but when I have less in that case or in that instance to, to leave my kids, won't they be a bit worried about that? Uh, well, they probably might be. They might be, what, might be wanting as much money as possible. But the reality is if you've got those assets that you're generating an income from, those assets are what you're going to pass on to your kids. Um, and again, we always say that your family home is excluded, so that's that's there as well. So, you know, if you've got a family home and you've got some uh, a rental portfolio, then that's what's going to um, move on to your family. That's probably where you want to talk about sort of succession planning with your lawyer, um, set up things like wills, set up maybe a family trust uh, so that you can you can control uh, how those uh, assets are used after you're passing away. And the last thing that I want to ask is, is more around the yield side. So obviously if I'm going to transition into apartments, those apartments, if, if that's what I'm going to invest in now, are going to be central city. They, they could work either as a standard residential rental with tenants or as an Airbnb. Do you have any advice about which tends to work? Airbnb will obviously be higher yield. Is that appropriate? Well, so this is an interesting one we spoke about the other day. Airbnb is still relatively new. And so whilst I think it can be an excellent way of investing in property uh, and an excellent way of getting a really high yield, you just need to tread with caution. You need to make sure that you're not buying something and then doing something that's going to be regulated later on that you won't be able to. For example, um, Airbnb... Essentially, it was set up so that someone could let out uh, an extra room in the house or a studio or something like that. It wasn't actually set up to rent out whole houses like what's happening in Queenstown or Wellington where you've got accommodation shortages. And so there's immense amount of pressure coming from the rental market and also from hotels because, of course, it competes with hotels. And so now uh, if you look at somewhere like Christchurch, for example, where there's been a lot of new hotels being built at the moment, there's not necessarily the accommodation there to support everyone that's coming to Christchurch at the moment. But there will be in the future. At that stage, you can bet your bottom dollar that the hotels are going to lobby the council and make sure that um, anything that's not actually uh, being able to be used as a commercial venture, um, so a normal house in the suburbs, so if you've got a house in Avonhead that's being rented Airbnb, that will come under scrutiny. And we're seeing a little bit of that at the moment in Christchurch, um, but we're seeing a lot of it in Queenstown and Wellington. Um, you'll, you'll, ha- you'll have councils write to you and say you can no longer do that, you can't use that as, a, um, as an Airbnb. So if you are going to buy something for an Airbnb, make sure that you're buying something that's mixed-use zoning or it's high density. It's going to be appropriate to use for an Airbnb in the future. Um, But I would also encourage people to buy assets that could be used as both because if something else comes out, if there's a change, then at least you've got the ability to just rent it out as a normal residential property. And just beware as well that obviously the income from an Airbnb is going to be a bit more variable than something that's rented out for a fixed amount of, of rent per week and so if if you're going to be relying primarily on your Airbnb there will be dips uh, dips and whole highs and lows I should say for the income of that property which may or may not suit you based on the other passive income that you're able to generate but the, the key piece of advice here is look Plan about five years to transition that portfolio so that you can sell and buy at really opportune times as you transition that portfolio and just plan out exactly how that's going to work. Now, of course, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the show. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you've been thinking for a while, 
I kind of like this property investment thing. I'm thinking about starting it. Then why not check out property? Check out our property investor quiz. This seven question quiz will give you a yes, no, or maybe answer about whether you're in the right position right now to get started in property investment. And of course, it will send you like a thousand word report based on what all of your specific numbers mean and how you can start taking action. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.